Lesson 13 for June 22 to 28, Turning Hearts in the End Time, and read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, June 22. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're coming to the end of this series of lessons about relationships, but the greatest relationship is that with you and with our Saviour Jesus Christ, but also the relationship with those who we meet, those we guide, those that we point towards Jesus. And as we read about this this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. May your word become alive in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Let's read that again, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Our lives are lived in stages. Sometimes those stages are going well, sometimes not. Sometimes families are intact and strong. Sometimes they are fragile or even shattered. Whatever the phase, whatever the stage, whatever the condition of ourselves or our family at the moment, we can and must live in the light of God's promises, clinging to them with all our heart and soul and might, because in the end they are our only hope. But what a great hope they are! The Word of God exudes promises, promises that whatever stage our life or our family is in, we can claim for ourselves our loved ones, our family and our church. In this, the final week of the quarter, we're going to look at some Bible stories, promises and experiences from a variety of contexts. As we do, we will seek to draw lessons for ourselves today, whatever our context happens to be. For most likely, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever the phase of your life, you have struggles, fears, worries. Fortunately, we worship a God who not only knows what we face, but who is, we can be sure, ahead of them all as well. Sunday, June 23, The Prophecy of Turned Hearts Question. Compare the prediction of the coming of Elijah with the New Testament references to this event. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And Matthew eleven fourteen and fifteen, and if you will, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
and Matthew 17, verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Mark 6.15 Others said, It is Elijah. And others said, It is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. And Luke 1 and verse 17 He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In the days of Malachi, God's appeal to the nation, Return to me, and I'll return to you, met with the arrogant response, In what way shall we return? in Malachi 3.7. The frustrated prophet announced that one further opportunity for revival would be given. Recalling the heart-rending reform begun by Elijah in 1 Kings 18.37, Malachi predicted his coming again to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, as we've just read. 1 Kings 18 and verse 37 reads, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. A Jewish tradition developed that Elijah would appear personally as the herald of the Messiah. We read about this in Matthew 17.10, and his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Mark 6 verse 15, Others said, It is Elijah, and others said, It is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. However, the New Testament presents John the Baptist as a fulfilment of the prophecy, as we read in Matthew eleven fourteen and 15. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in Luke 1, 17, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Question, what do you think the phrase, turn the hearts, means? Several applications are possible for this phrase. It refers to the reconciliation of the people of Israel with the Lord. God as Father, in Isaiah 63.16, Doubtless you are our Father, though Abraham was ignorant of us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from everlasting is your name has turned from his wrath toward his children. Micah seven eighteen and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And calls them to return to him. In Isaiah 44, verse 22, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And in Malachi 3, verse 7, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, In what way shall we return? It refers to the reconnecting of later generations with their faithful ancestors through covenant renewal. 
the prophetic call for God's people to follow the faith of the patriarchs was given repeatedly in the Old Testament. Whether the land continued as a blessed dwelling place was directly related to covenant faithfulness, as we read in Deuteronomy 4, verses 29 to 31. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the the Lord your God, and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. It refers to the restoration and renewal of family relationships. Parent-child relationships are a practical expression of covenant faithfulness with God. Here, too, fulfilment of responsibilities to parents and children are interwoven with continued inheritance of the land and God's blessing, as we read in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 21. For the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. So to finish the day, what is the connection between a restored relationship with God and restored relationships in our families. Why must one precede the other? Monday, June 24 Family Reunion The introduction of Baal worship into Israel by Jezebel, the Sidonian, wife of King Ahab, hastened the nation's downward moral slide. The teachings of God that uplifted marriage, family and sexuality were overshadowed by such practices as incest, prostitution and other sexual perversions. Into this arena of conflict over worship stepped Elijah, whose very name, Jehovah is my God, rebuked Baal. Question. What experience of Elijah associated him with overturning heathen beliefs and bringing new life to families? And we'll read 1 Kings 16, verses 29, through to chapter 17, verse 24. 1 Kings 16, beginning at 29, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omni, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omni, reigned over Israel and Samaria twenty-two years. Now Ahab, the son of Omni, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel of Bethuel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, who set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. And Elijah the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, 
As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son." For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away, and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now it happened that after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. And we compare that with Luke 4, verses 25 and 26. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 
Elijah was a marked man after announcing the curse of drought upon the land. God sheltered him in an unlikely place, at a poor widow's dwelling in Zarephath of Sidon, near Jezebel's hometown. Elijah greeted the widow with a grim test, to use her last bits of kindling, oil and flour to feed him and to trust God for her future. Her faith became legendary. Jesus himself would later commend her in Luke 4.26, which we've just read. As her oil and meal stretched out over many days, the woman came to understand more about Jehovah. Then, tragically, her own son fell sick and died. In expressing her grief to Elijah, she reflected the familiar religion around her, the perverted beliefs that now engulfed Israel, in which one sin could require child sacrifice, as in 1 Kings 17 and verse 18. And that reads, So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son, and we compare that with Jeremiah 19, verse 5. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offering to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. And Micah chapter 6, verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Question, what effect did the reunion with her son have upon the Phoenician widow's spiritual experience? 1 Kings 17.24 Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. What can we learn from her comments? The mother's response reveals the effect of the Elijah message. Faith in God and his word arises in the heart as, by his power, life is restored and the family is reunited. Many today may give assent as doctrines are preached, but are lukewarm in their spiritual experience. However, when the truths of God's word are experienced personally and revival and restoration occur in home relationships, conviction comes ever so much more powerfully upon the heart. So to finish the day, what are some family reunions that you are still waiting for? What promises of God are you clinging to that give you hope of that reunion? Tuesday, June 25, Turning Hearts at the Altar Question, read 1 Kings 18, verses 20 to 45. Write out on the lines below what essentially this whole episode is about. Though the context is totally different, how can the principles seen in this story apply to family life? 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. 
But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them back to the brook Kishon, and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. 
Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud, as small as a man's hand, rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. On Mount Carmel, Elijah longed for covenant renewal on the part of his nation, a turning back to the faith of their fathers that would bring healing to their lives, their homes, and their land. The hour of the evening sacrifice. After the heathen priest's failure with their sacrifice, Elijah took his turn. He was deliberate. The time of day drew attention to God's redemptive plan revealed in the sanctuary service, as we read in Exodus 29.41, And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. The invitation, come near to us, in 1 Kings 18.30, which we read, reminds us of the Saviour welcoming sinners, as we read in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Parents who are pained at the waywardness of a child can be assured that God loves him or her as truly as he loved the Israelites. God works unceasingly to draw wayward ones to him. Elijah's focus on Jehovah's altar finds its equivalent in our time when Jesus and his saving grace are uplifted in families. Family worship is an opportunity to talk to him in prayer, to speak of him to one another, to receive anew his free gift of salvation, and to give our hearts time to reflect on his teachings. The response Elijah requested would signal that God had taken them back to himself. First Kings 18.37 says, This people may know, you have turned their hearts back to you again. We cannot turn our hearts to God. We can respond only to his grace, and that he freely gives. The all-consuming fire fell not upon the guilty, but upon the sacrifice pointing forward to Jesus, who was made, as it says in Second Corinthians 5.21, sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Confession and praise burst from the people's lips. Because they did not respond to God's call, the false priests were executed. Then refreshing rains ended the curse upon the land. So to finish today, in what condition is your home altar? In what specific ways can you rebuild the altar in your home if indeed it needs some rebuilding? Wednesday, June 26, Turning Hearts 
at the Jordan. Alongside Gabriel's prediction in Luke one seventeen, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, and Jesus' confirmation of him as the predicted Elijah in Matthew 11.14, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come, and... Matthew seventeen twelve and 13, But I say to you that Elijah has already come, and that they, they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. The Gospel writers affirm that John the Baptist was the messenger who would prepare the way of the Lord, as we read earlier in this week, but we'll read them again. Matthew 11.10 For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And Luke chapter 7 and verse 27 This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And we'll compare that with Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Question. Note the main aspects of John's message. In what way was his message one of heart-turning? Matthew 3, verse 2, And saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And Matthew 14, verse 4, Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And Mark 1, verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And Luke 3, verses 3, 8, 9, 11, 13, and 14. And we start at verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And verses 8 and 9. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And verse 11, He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. And verses 13 and 14, And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Like a farmer, who ploughs hard ground to prepare it to receive seed, John denounced sin and urged sinners to repent. Human nature is such that, without self-examination, without an awareness of one's true condition, 
no need is felt for something better. His message turned people toward the holiness of God's requirements and their need of His perfect righteousness. Genuine repentance is always marked by humility and looking to God for help to change one's behaviour. By exposing the shallow, self-centred hypocrisy of those who claimed Abraham as their father, he sought to open the deeper meaning of the faith of their fathers. Question, how did the message of John the Baptist prepare the way for Jesus? John 1, verses 35 to 37. And again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And John 3, verses 27 to 30, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John had been shown that Jesus was the Lamb of God. When he introduced Jesus this way in John one twenty nine, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in verse 36, again the next day John stood with two of the disciples, and two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He literally turned people to the Lord. Andrew and another of John's disciples, John, the gospel writer who wrote the account of that day, left the Baptist side and became Jesus' disciples. Not only does the Elijah message point to the need for repentance, it identifies the one who saves from sin, generates excitement about him, and introduces people to him. So to finish the day, if John the Baptist were to step into your home... What do you think he would be saying to you? Thursday, June 27. Turning Hearts in the Last Days. In a sense, we as Adventists see ourselves in the role of John the Baptist. The herald of reform and repentance sought to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus. We, as a movement, see ourselves doing the same for the second coming. Question, read prayerfully, Luke 1 verse 17. How do these words capture our message? He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Our Heavenly Father has turned the hearts of his children back to himself and has turned the hearts of his children to each other through the cross of Christ. 
The Elijah message pleads with families to believe this incredible good news, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. In him, then, we'll compare that with Ephesians two eleven to 18. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. And to be people filled with grace as his Spirit yields a harvest of love in them. The world needs desperately a demonstration of unselfish, caring, lasting commitment and unswerving devotion to God. By God's grace, Christian families can provide such a demonstration. Yet, we must remember that the message we have for the world also is for ourselves. Until the principles of gospel, of unity, of love, of self-sacrifice are made manifest among us, especially in our own families, we will be powerless to share this message with others. All the eloquent sermons, all the logic and biblical presentations aren't enough. The world needs to see manifest in our lives, especially in our family lives, the repentance, the turned hearts, the love and the commitment we preach about. Just as John the Baptist had a power that changed lives and made his preaching effective, we can do the same through the grace of God, but only to the degree that we are willing to cooperate. We are, through Jesus, part of the family in heaven, as we read in Ephesians 3.15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Thus, whether we are a family of one or more, we are called to be witnesses for the God we profess to serve, and nothing can make our witness more effective than to show the world what a family, regardless of its size, can be, through the power of the gospel. So to finish today, what can you do in a special way to show those closest to you, whether immediate family or someone else, that you love and care about them? 
Friday, June 28. From the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Ellen White quoting, Volume 4, page 1184. Our message must be as direct as was that of John. He rebuked kings for their iniquity. Notwithstanding the peril his life was in, he never allowed truth to languish on his lips. Our work in this age must be as faithfully done. End of quote. And that brings us to our, how many we've got? Five discussion questions for this week. One, as a class, discuss the relevance of the Elijah message to your local church. What can you do to help your church understand the message and the church's role in helping to spread it? Two, have those who are willing share with the class their own personal experiences of having their hearts turned. What changes came about? What effect did this experience have upon their lives and the lives of their families? 3. If we see ourselves in the role of John the Baptist, what should we expect to happen to us? What is the implicit message in that answer? 4. As a class, work on a paragraph, a kind of declaration of family principles that best encapsulates what the biblical idea for a family is. What criteria would you use to help craft those principles? What have you learned this quarter that might have helped you in establishing what those principles might be? Be prepared to share it with the whole church. 5. As a parent, what promises can you claim for children who, at least at this stage, have run away from the Lord? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled My Three Wishes and it's by Lu Shen Xiong. A year after my baptism I applied for a new job as a truck driver because of Sabbath conflicts at my previous workplace. During the job interview I announced that I had three requests no Sabbath work no pork in the company meal boxes a loan of 50,000 Taiwanese dollars. The boss was stunned by my boldness, but he said, Go work today and we'll talk about this afterward. He wanted to see how I would work. After the workday finished, the boss called me over. You can work Sunday instead of Sabbath, but why don't you eat pork, he asked. His company, like many companies in Taiwan, provided employees with daily meal boxes. Pork is cheaper than chicken and beef, so why don't you eat it? he questioned. This is my religious belief, I replied. The boss thought for a moment. Fine, he said. I won't give you pork to eat, but why the loan for 50,000 Taiwanese dollars? I explained that I had been injured in a car accident recently and had no money for the hospital bills and the expense of buying a new car. If I give you 50,000, how will you pay it back? he asked. Will you give me 10,000 a month or maybe 20,000 per month? No, I said. I'll give you 1,000 a month. The boss couldn't believe my ears. 
a monthly payment of 1,000 Taiwanese dollars meant it would take more than four years to return the loan. But something or someone impressed the boss to give me a chance, and he agreed to this last request. Six months into the new job, the boss called me over. I'm forgiving your debt because you are such a good worker, he said. Now I couldn't believe my ears. Working for God is good. Before the job interview, I had prayed to God, I want to interview for this new job, but you know that I have these three wishes. Please intervene. God answered my prayer. When we do gospel work, nothing can stand in our way. And there's a photograph of Lou here, and it reads beside it, nearly 20 years on, Lou Shenzhong, age 60, continues to work full-time as a truck driver. He also is recognized as one of the most effective lay church leaders in Taiwan, turning three struggling congregations into robust churches. Read more at the link bit.ly slash taiwan dash truck dash driver. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.